0: Welcome to the Bullpen Session. This is Patrick Lillis, and glad you're listening, glad you're here, glad everyone's okay, hope you're all right, hope everyone you know is healthy and doing well. Had a good 4th of July, getting out and figuring out a way to celebrate in nature, knowing that we are physically distancing and taking care of ourselves. You know, I'm excited to share the conversation I had with my friend Jessica Ash, who is a drama therapist, and it's a great conversation. She's really good at what she does, and um, it's actually fun to talk to her because I've known her for a while. I've known her back. I feel like more than fifteen years. It feels like, and uh, when she was pursuing acting, and in that time, changing her career, and 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 you'll hear her talk about it, uh, touching into what is more of her calling drama therapy and really just impressed with the success she's had and uh, was wonderful to talk to her but also one of the reasons I wanted to talk is because we're in the middle of this pandemic and it's the end of season two of the bullpen session we're really grateful to all our guests um, but I was thinking at this time like what do we need to be thinking about what is you know how do you how do you end this great season where we you know we started with talking with a lot of actors in the beginning of the season, Trevor Long and Liza Zayas and, uh, and, you know, just talking about the work and, and all of them and how to pursue it. And then as the world changed between what was then, I don't know when we launched, I feel like November, you know, and then in February at the Southeast theater conference and those conversations were, uh, enlightening and and about different topics and inclusion and equity and uh, diversity topic that was uh, primary at the conference and you know and it, throughout we talked to playwrights and directors and and literary managers and it was really good but as I was wrapping up I was thinking what do you need to think about for an early career at a point when Broadway just announced they're not opening till the end of the year and how are people pursuing their career? And, you know, I talk about it a lot on the pod about being intentional and um, what you do next. And then I was thinking about what are your gifts and what are the storytelling things that, you know, what do we do as storytellers that are valuable and what forms can they take, you know, especially since we're not used to doing it in a way that, where we're not all in a room together. And and as we're thinking about that and reimagining ourselves and also acknowledging that the way we've lived our lives and trained to live our lives has changed, I thought it'd be great to talk to a therapist, um, honestly. And I also thought what was, is it's great to imagine other value for the theater, other value for the skills that we have, and also, You know, interesting to talk to Jessica, who reimagined a whole career for herself, and and what that was like, and going through that process. And so I wanted to talk to her about it, and I thought uh, thought it would be useful for all of us who are in this place at this time. And I, the conversation is great. I mean, she's done so much. You'll hear in our talk about all the things she's achieved, and you know, and I just. I really hope for everybody as you're as you're we're wrestling with this change, you know, and I think we're we're all getting on top of it as if it's normal, but it's still not normal, and we're still readjusting how we work in this world. Interacting is one thing, socializing is one thing, social distancing, but uh, how do we how do we build a career and what are the avenues and they're different than they were, and so thought it was really really nice to talk to Jessica about just dealing with that trauma and that shift in perception and also uh, a very fun lively nice conversation Um, so I hope you enjoy it and with that play ball
1: We're figuring it out, but that's what's hard about being a drama therapist is that the work so much of being a drama therapist is using using our body, um, and so now that everything, at least in my private practice, is being moved onto you know uh, to the internet or to, you know to telehealth through Zoom, it's like a whole new way to be in relationship to each other's bodies through these boxes.
0: Yeah, and are you doing? Are you doing it? You're doing your your individual practice is the I know, and I'm going to get the names wrong, but the the organizations you worked with, are they able to do the work that they were
1: doing? Uh, Yes. So the work that I do with Holocaust survivors and adolescents, which is called witness theater. Yeah. That was completely disrupted. So we, our sessions were, you know, our in-person sessions were disrupted. So we moved it onto zoom and let me tell you something, getting people, Imagine trying to get 90 year olds um, on Zoom, I mean, and running groups. It has been incredibly challenging, but we're doing it. So, and I, the play that I wrote about the lives of these survivors, I had to adapt it to a film, which like, I don't really know what I'm doing. I said to my boss, I'm like, can we, what, what's the budget? Can we hire an editor? All of a sudden I had to take all these ideas and figure out how to make it a film. So we did it. We, we did it. And I, it's going to come out. I think the film will be out uh, in a week and a half.
0: Are you doing a film like through Zoom?
1: Oh yes, we are. <laughs> <laughs>
0: wow. And there, and, and It's interesting, because you're right, like, they're the 90-year-olds, and the 90-year-olds are in their own space, so they don't have, like, somebody built in the house who's doing tech support. They just got to figure it out.
1: Right. Some of them who have been with their families, their kids have been able to set up Zoom. Um, But yeah, for a lot of them, it's been really, really hard. And it's, you know, it's disorienting. It's, like, disorienting anyway, you know, to be a younger person and to get on Zoom. And so... It's been, I mean, I feel so happy that we were able to do it, but it's absolutely been challenging.
0: Yeah, and are these people who've been in the program for a while, or are they, do you rotate in, are they new participants? How does it, how do you find them?
1: Yeah, so every September, uh, a new program starts, and the program lasts from September to April. The play is usually in late April. And so every year we get a new bunch of Holocaust survivors and a new bunch of adolescents. And we work with a program in New York called Self-Help and Self-Help serves older adults, um, older adults in general, but they do have a large Holocaust um, population. And so they create, so they've created programs for the Holocaust survivors. And one of the programs is my program called Witness Theater. So that's where we pull uh, the Holocaust survivors from. The
0: Witness Theater, what are you it's going to ask for such a simple question? What do you do? I know that it's getting them to tell their story, right? hmm And how does that pair with the adolescents? And what is the value of that? I'm I watched the, the video that's on, the, on your website, I think, and uh, and it looks great. And it looks like everybody's having a transformative experience. And I'm curious how they partner together.
1: It's a really, really special process. I think that the students that we pull are interested off the bat in getting to know Holocaust survivors. So like you kind of need to, you need to have that. You need to be interested I mean, I worked for a few years at a school in Riverdale um, at SAR High School, and most of those kids weren't even performers. Most of them aren't performers, which is like, that's a whole other challenge in itself. So for the majority of the years that I've done this, um, the only thing that is in common with all, with all the students is that they're just interested in meeting Holocaust survivors, and they're interested in passing down these stories, and they're interested in building these relationships with them. The relationship building may be the most important part of the entire process process. Um, And, but they're not actors and they're so scared. And they say to me the whole entire time, I love everything about the program, but please don't make make me act. Like, please don't make me act. And I just keep saying to them, it's going to be fine. You are getting such a rare opportunity to step into a role of a person that you will build a relationship with, that you will know for nine months and you will get really close with. Just don't worry about that part. And, you know, the truth is, is that, This is a technique in drama therapy called therapeutic theater. And in therapeutic theater, uh, the most important part is is not the product. It's not the performance. It's really, it is the process. So that's what I keep telling them. I just keep telling them that because it's true. So, you know, are the shows, the shows aren't Broadway. Like the shows, you know...
0: well, so. it's funny when you say it, though, because when I was thinking, uh, as soon as you said it, I went, "I don't do theater for the performance." Mm.
1: What know, do you I, do theater for?
0: I do theater for the process. I do theater for the discovery. I mean, there are there. Are, I love the craft After of it. it. I love the structure of it. I love just dis- you know building beats and things like that. But there's, I was going to say the, the, but it's the process of discovery about humanity and about you know bringing this bringing other people as far getting them to do the work as specific emotionally as they can do it. And for me to learn about what's happening. And, you know, I always find the performance is sort of, I've also been doing it now for 30 years. So at the end, when the production's going up, I'm like, well, that's just the, that's the celebration of the work. Mm. But what keeps me going and why I'm doing it is the, is the interaction, the humanity of the whole thing and the personal growth. And so when you, you know, you're right. Like that's the the thing they're most afraid of is actually sort of the easiest, and it's important. You want to share their story and bear witness, as the program is called, um, and and make sure those people are seen. But I think the thing that the, each individual sounds like they're getting is to see and be seen and shared interaction. Sounds amazing. Yeah.
1: It is. It, it, it's, I feel so grateful to be a part of this. Um, and it's, you know, there's urgency around this program because obviously soon there won't be any Holocaust survivors alive. So we really are in the last, I would say we are in the last few years of to be able to hear these stories um, firsthand from the people who lived them. So there's urgency around these last few years of getting any survivor who can to participate, who, who wants to tell their story.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. Can I, I'm going to back up a little bit. How did you, I've known you a long time and you were an actor when we met. So what yes. made you think, oh, I want to, since I just talked about why I do theater, what yes. made you say, oh, I think drama therapy is the way I want to go?
1: Hmm. Yeah, um, I think that I have been a drama therapist Forever, and I just didn't know, or I didn't have the language for it. Acting and the theater has always, always been a place of deep healing for me. For so many of us, you know, many drama therapists um, and actors, I feel like have a very similar story around that the theater is a place that 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 feels holy to them, and and that feels healing to them, and. For me, you know, I struggled in school when I was young. I struggled in school my entire life i was I barely passed. I had a ton of learning disabilities, which now we call learning challenges, but it was in the eighties, and so nobody really understood that you know that I learned in a different way um and so I just historically as a kid, always just felt um Damaged like my brain didn't work at the speed that everyone else is a kind of I couldn't take in Information and process information as quickly as other people I needed to kind of you know I needed to touch things. I needed to smell things in history class I needed it to be like a story which is very connected to drama therapy and being a a performer um, and so my parents were just so great because at a really young age They knew that my self-esteem was just getting destroyed in school, by teachers, by a system that was just failed me and so many other people who learn in a different way. And so, my mom, I was I was in acting class, you know, very young, in like fifth grade, and in dance class. And so, after school, that's where I I was. And so, it was the place that I could now I have language for it. And so now, what now what I realize um, is that. I had all these feelings built up inside. Um, I had rage and anger and confusion about being about my learning challenges, but there was nowhere to put it and there was no way to express it. But then when I was given um, a role or a story, it, it could hold my experience. So like in drama therapy, we talk a lot about how the story gives us a frame. It actually gives us a container, um, to hold it. And so I could challenge, channel all of my rage, um, into a role that I wasn't, a, That I didn't know where to put it in my real life. And I immediately was like, Oh, so this is the place that I can put it. And it feels safe and contained. Um, and And I actually remember when I was 12, this moment really stands out for me in my life. I think I was about 12 or 13 years old and I was like in a scene study class with an acting teacher who I love and who is incredible. Um, But I was finished doing the scene and I kind of, I experienced like what we would call like a catharsis. And it felt amazing. And it was like my first thought that I verbally said out loud. And I said, wow, this feels like therapy. And my acting teacher who just didn't know any better, just, just said, um, listen, this is, you know, I'm glad you feel this way, but it's not therapy. And if you, if you want to go to a therapist, you should, you know, talk to it, you should go to a talk therapist. And I remember at being 12, I remember thinking to myself, you're wrong. Um, you're wrong. But I, again, I did not have the language at all. To, to tell her why. But I think about that story so often about when you have a deeply felt experience, like a deeply felt moment of truth, um, and you don't have the language for it to help communicate it. And so I the acting in theater for me has always been a place where um, I could study. Human behavior and ask the questions that I am always just so interested in Studying of you know, why do we do what we do? Why do we think how we think? Why do we behave? (laughs) like what, what 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 it what's going on with human beings and Stories and characters were always just like a big it was a big study. I could just study it all in it and so um
0: yeah, I love that. And I think it's interesting, because I do think it's, a whatever that cathartic, that moment of truth that you had is, it, you're right, it's not, it's bullshit when somebody says, oh, it's not therapy. It's like, oh, it, it's not talk therapy, but it's therapeutic. And it's always been therapeutic. That's why we went to the, that's why the Greeks started the thing. You mm-hmm. know? It's like, yeah. for this recognition of self and, and, and to have an experience. And I, identified with everything you were saying I was like all right I started theater and seriously in later high school and it was because it was a safe place to have a feeling
1: (laughs) yes absolutely right right so much of the world it's so unsafe to feel like like society has socialized us that like yeah feeling is is unsafe and we have to zip up and we have responsibilities and we have things that we have to do and we have to right, pay our bills and go to work and do our job and, like, kind of just, like, keep going, you know, Um, machine our way through the world, in a sense.
0: And then you're, I'm, I'm, I think, recognizing it and knowing that it's a true calling because it's the way you've related to it is really interesting. And also knowing that you're, so you're pursuing acting, right? You go to, you come to New York, you're pursuing it. Yeah. And I think there's a big, I love the decision when people make a decision to make a change in direction, even though it seems like you're making an alignment to what the actual purpose of the art was for you. Mm. But at what point did you say, you know what, I'm going to go to NYU. I'm going to try. I mean, it's nice that it's a good school and it offers the program you want and it's in the theater, the city you live in. But, um, but what made you say, I'm going to, I'm going to take time out of my life and commit to this and see what it is.
1: It was, it was actually just, it was actually a really painful, um, decision initially and really therapy. (laughs) Like the first thing that comes to my mind is the biggest thing that helped me make that decision was therapy. And I had to wrestle with the decision for about three years in therapy. It was not immediate. I just think overall, I, I mean, how old was I? I probably was. I went to I went to, I began graduate school when I was 30. So I think starting at 27, I just, I don't know. I, I wasn't, something was happening and I was, I wasn't feeling fulfilled, which I, I recognize my, you know, deeply understanding kind of how privileged that is. Right. Like I, as I say that I'm thinking like, wow, it's a, it's, it's a really privileged thing to be able to expect Um, to be fulfilled all of, all of the time. Sorry, that's a side note, but um, we can get to that later. Um, But uh, I was, I was just, I just thought to myself, so I wonder if this is it, like, is this going to be it for me? Am I gonna mostly just audition and like mostly not get it (laughs) and mm, babysit and wait tables um, and kind of be poor, and I, I wonder if this is it. I, um, and and it's not that I wasn't. There were moments of deep fulfillment, and I was in deep connection and in, in, in with community with a lot of people, and I, I loved so much of my life. But I started. Um, I actually had a friend, uh, th- this is what happened, I had a friend who was a writer who told me that she went to a writing program in Zimbabwe, and I'm gonna really mess this up, but the, the, what she told me is that a group of writers went to Zimbabwe and helped this, this group of women um, in this village write a story about some of the trauma that they had been through. In, in their life and so they were helping and support them kind of come up with a show. So a group of writers went, one of them was my friend and she said it was completely transformative and changed her entire life to spend time with these women and to be able to give them a, help them, help them find their voice and then create this performance piece of, their, of this trauma that they experienced. And I just remember thinking like, what the fuck? What what is that? Who, what is that? What is that? And like, what, like, is that, is it, was it called something? That was the most amazing thing I'd ever experienced in my entire life. So then I started talking to friends about it. And that's when I had a friend say to me, yeah, that's kind of creative arts therapy. That's drama therapy. Do you know about drama therapy? And I said, no. And they said, well, NYU has a program. You should start to research it. And so then for a few years, I just began to research the program. And I think I wanted to take things. I I think I wanted to move in a certain direction. Um, There was, I wanted to help you use like drama therapy tools and techniques for healing. So for me, it was cathartic, and the, and there were times that I could kind of channel my feelings into some roles, and it would feel really fulfilling for me, but it wasn't, it certainly wasn't constant, and certainly wasn't all the time, and I wanted to a little bit take the focus off of me and my experience and start to focus on other people.
0: Yeah, and you, and when you said it was painful, is it painful? I'm making an assumption, but there's a painfulness of like, just letting go of the sense of identity you've created for yourself. Right. That's the hardest thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a death. It's a loss. It's a, yeah, it's a, you're grieving a dream. And part of my therapeutic work when I had to make the change is that in the beginning, I remember saying to my therapist, which I think a lot of people say is like, no, 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 you don't understand. I just can't do anything else. Like, I just can't do anything else. And what I have, and I'm not saying that that, I don't want to minimize for the people out there who say that and who who believe that. I, I don't want to minimize that. But what I do want to kind of add is that I think the reason why we say, well, I just can't do anything else is because, I mean, that's the narrative. I mean, that's the narrative that we've fed ourselves our entire life. Um, and so, part of what my therapist worked with me on is like, can you like curiosity and using your imagination of like, could you if you were to open up, right? Like, what are the other possibilities in your life? You know, you're a great listener. You're right. Like, oh, so we would make lists and lists and lists of like, what do I think I'm good at? Like, what am I? What are some of the you know, what are the qualities that I think that I could build upon? Um, but I had to unlearn this idea that i couldn't that that was all i could do
0: yeah i'm excited cuz one of the one of the reasons i wanted to talk to you at this point actually was the idea of grieving when you said you're grieving and you're losing i think like right with the pandemic and physical distancing and people not being able to do theater the way they've always imagined doing it and i or have always done it you know not only imagined it, you know the young the early career artists who finished their training and they just graduated and they're and they're like, "Wait, what you know um and I've been saying that we're still artists and we still have these skills. we just have to be intentional about how we're going to use these skills at this time, and there is a grief I don't want to you know belittle or diminish the grieving process of that identity because that's important because that's happening. I think a lot of people are going through that right now. But I think also looking at that list, I'm not saying, hey, everybody become a drama therapist. Um, but but I think looking at what you, the skills that you, your personal skills, not the skills you learned in an acting class, but the skills that you have that feed you, all of a sudden become useful in a, in a core way that you didn't even understand were possible. And I think when we're starting the journey of building a theater career, we have no idea where we're going. I did not, nobody would have said to me like, 30 years ago, you're going to start at the other company that cultivates early career artists. And you're going to partner with a bunch of colleges. Uh, And they certainly wouldn't have said you'd be talking on a podcast because they didn't exist. Um, (laughs) But, but you don't know what direction you're going in. And so limiting yourself by because people don't even know they're going to be on, you know, even if they have the most successful life of their own, they don't, you know, of their dreams. They had no idea that, you know, They'd be on television, or that a show like Hamilton would exist. You know, right? And so, they you can't limit yourself because you don't actually know what's going to happen.
1: Right. And, and, and I would just add, real quick, that I think that part of limiting <clears throat> ourselves is actually about like the world limits us, right? So that that that's our first experience with like who who limits us, right? Like like the educational system said to me, like you don't, you're not smart. Like you're stupid. You have learning disabilities. You 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 can't do much, right? Like oh, you're a little artist. Oh, you go off and be like go be cre- create, right? Like that was ear- the early messaging that I got as a child, right? So part of the limitations that I put on myself are a construct that, or that that you know, a, a culture that was fed to me. So to unlearn that and to disrupt that. That's huge and so and such important work for us all to be doing.
0: yeah, I think it's it's true, and it's to look at you know I think taking inventory of yourself and looking at what you've been able to achieve. yeah you know if you' if you've designed and built a set or you've created your own web series, right something to that you know I'm thinking about it's like, oh, you built a small business. And you learned all these other skills and you've done all these things. So they're transferable to anything else you want to do. Yeah. Not anything else society tells you you have to do, but anything else you want to do, you can yeah. do it. But it was interesting when you were saying it, I was like, yeah, that's the hardest thing is to let go and say, but I've always pictured myself this way. I've always imagined this. Right. I am this.
1: Totally. I mean, that is part of what I love so much about drama therapy is what we do for folks is that we help them imagine a different way of living um you know through through improv through just like pl- being playful like what would it be to just imagine a different way of existing in the world um so it's it's really hopeful even in moments that we're in right now of of a pretty challenging dark time for many people
0: yeah Yeah, I mean, yeah, and there's a lot of reality around that dark time. That's not just, I mean, listen, if the fact that you have to limit your physical interaction with people is one thing, and then there's all the other built-out residual stuff that are societal that we're all dealing with. Uh, You know, I'm like, I know you, and I know, and... uh, and, and so it's always weird to like, oh, I should go look up what Jessica has been doing. And then I see that like, oh, last year you were at the Tonys and <laughs> you're part of this thing called the animation project. And, you know, where kids are, I'm gathering, telling, creating stories that are then working with animators who are making short films about their story. And it looks empowering and amazing and, you know, and the, the witness, the the Holocaust project, the witness story, is um, all of it is like, right, if you were just sitting home dreaming before becoming a drama therapist and saying, oh, could I I be engaged in making an animation film while I go to the Tonys, Will I do this, you know, that would have all seemed like, no, somebody else does all those things. I do this one little thing. And because you touched into what you, uh, a calling that is uh, more in line with the artistry that was true to you, all of a sudden, all these other things open up. Mm. Mm. And I think it's interesting. I, I don't have to talk about the animation project, but people should check it out on your website. But uh, what got you to the Tonys?
1: Uh, wow. Well, you know, I never thought in a, in a million years that you know quitting um, trying to be a professional actor and becoming a drama therapist, that that would be the thing that got me to the Tonys. But, you know, life is amazing like that. Um... So I, um, on February 14th, 2018, there was a mass shooting that happened in Parkland, Florida. And a few months after the shooting occurred, um, I was contacted to develop and implement a creative arts therapy program for the community and the survivors of Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School and, and other people. In the community and so for about six weeks I for the past two years I um, have been in Florida during the summer running and facilitating this creative arts therapy program and talk about not thinking that you could do something I mean when I initially got the call asking if I, if AI was interested in developing this program and if I thought I could do it. I mean, even though I have worked with a lot of different kinds of trauma before, I had never worked with um, mass shootings before. And so that was a real moment for me of being so scared, so tremendously scared Um, Not sure if I could actually do it, but just deciding to take a leap of faith and um, do it, just do it. And so the the Tonys, um, that was a long way to say that the Tonys, when I went to the Tonys last year, we were invited because we sat in back of Oklahoma, uh, was on Broadway last year, and Oklahoma was a part of a program called Gun Neutral, and Gun Neutral is a program that was developed by Level Forward, which is Abigail Disney's um, company. And Level Forward is a is a program that helps the entertainment industry understand the implications of storytelling and how to be a more responsible storyteller. and so, for instance, Oklahoma had, you know, has like, I'm going to get it wrong, but like hundreds of guns on the set. And so there was a program that was develop- developed that for people who, uh, I'm going to mess this up, for people who wanted to participate in the gun neutral initiative, they were going to give back money uh, to Shine MSD, which is the non-for-profit that I worked with and for to start the program in Parkland, Florida. And the idea is to build creative arts therapy programs um, for communities who've experienced mass shooting. So I was at the Tonys with a whole bunch of other gun advocacy people um, who were fighting for gun reform and that's what got me to the Tonys.
0: The program's amazing. And I, when you said you were so scared to start that project, there's no product at the end necessarily. It's not like you're afraid because it's not like the show's gonna tank. The fear is like, can you help the people, or, right? And are you gonna, do I know enough and am I gonna do damage?
1: Exactly, exactly. Yeah. It's It's very different from just from going, from working with Holocaust survivors where their trauma happened 70 years ago and going into a community that is experiencing active trauma. That happened a few months ago. It's very, it's very different work. When you think about your
0: work, because you've been doing it, um, I'm going to guess like seven years is my guess. Does that sound yeah, right? Yeah, I think
1: I think eight. Yes, eight. yes.
0: What do you, what do you think you carry into that room with you now? That's different than when you first started.
1: I think that I allow myself now to be curious. And I allow myself not to know what's going to happen and not, and not to have all of the answers. And to know that staying open and staying curious is the thing that will lead me um, to help people. Whereas in the beginning, I would be absolutely terrified to walk into a room with that energy. Um, I I think that part of when you're in, I mean, listen, I'm still a new therapist, right? Eight years. (laughs) So I'm still new, but I think in the first year or two or three there, I would walk into the room with so much tension and feeling like I, I have to prove something. I have to prove that I'm good. I have to prove that I'm worthy. Like I have to prove that I can help you listen to me. I'm really good. Hire me. Um, And all of that is like the opposite of what you do in therapy when you want to help someone. When you first meet someone, you don't know them. So your entire job, entire job is just to listen and take in and have your body just open up your body to all the other bodies in the room and just be present for what the stories are. And it's kind of the whole idea of like, do nothing. <laughs> Cause when you do nothing, you actually do so much. Um, and I would never imagine of doing that in the first few years.
0: Yeah, and letting go of, it's the same thing walking into rehearsal you know, remaining open to discovery, you have a plan of how you're going to pursue it, but you have to let go of knowing what the result is going to be, because how can you know the result? You don't know the people, (laughs) you know, and I feel that way when I'm thinking about directing even, is like, how can I know the result? I don't know how people, how these characters, these human beings three-dimensionally embodying these characters are going to respond to these specific circumstances mm-hmm. and we should remain open to that and and you're right in remaining open in this to actual people's trauma because the assumption that you know what it is is not a therapeutic word crazy
1: <laughs> <laughs> not <laughs> like, a therapy word
0: <laughs> but to think that you know that it is is denying of the person because They're having a very, they're having a unique experience. And whether it's similar to someone else's, it is clearly their own. So that's, it's, yeah, it's got to be hard to walk in and trust that something helpful is going to happen just by showing
1: up. Right. And, and I think that I've learned too, that like, if, if nothing, like there's no such thing as nothing happening, something always happens. Right. And if that something that happens is not, uh, not enough but, but not like what i then like then that then that's okay too and like that's where people are i've also realized that so much is it's like not about me <laughs> i mean like <laughs> it's just right like in 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 graduate school i had a professor who always who always says like it's not about it's not about you and it is about you all at the same time and so kind of learning learning when it is a when i am impacted because i have what we call like counter-transference, which is like the, the person is making me feel all of these feelings where they remind me of somebody and I feel like I can't do the work because they remind me of someone. I mean, so that's part of when it is about you. But so much of people's stuff is just not about me. So I just need to be kind of an open vessel to be able to mirror back people's experience.
0: I wanna ask about the thing about when it becomes about you, not because Not the thing of, I can't work with this person. They remind me of my abusive uncle or something like that, you know, but I, you know, I did a little drama therapy work uh, and going into, and it was incredibly rewarding uh, and fulfilling, but also not the work that I should be doing. Mm.
1: Uh, And
0: my reason was, I found it, I found it too emotionally hard uh, on me. And I, 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 you know, it was going into a psych ward and then leaving and going, oh, I think there is a very thin curtain between patient and the person who gets to leave, you know, <laughs> and I, it was emotionally, uh, yeah, you take it on. And so I wonder when you're doing the work that you're doing, how, what is the process for your own self-care? To, how do you... Exit a process. And I'm thinking about it because I was actually just talking to somebody you might know, but Scott Hudson, uh, talking about teaching it, and he said that you know, he's talking about how we give all the care we give all the student actors and all the actors all that emotional time to prep for a scene. But then they go through these traumatic scenes and then at the end, and he wants to build into the time to to process the end of the emotional scene, as opposed to like, okay, who's next? He wants to go, you
1: know? So he's saying that he wants to build in. He's going to start
0: to build that process in at the end of the scene. Like, yes, we prep, do the scene. But, you know, if you're prepping for a scene about your your mother's died, and then you act in the scene that your mother died, you're going to need time to process getting that out of your system.
1: Oh, I... Patrick, I've thought about this. Yes, sorry, continue to ask your question. No,
0: my my question is, how do you care for yourself? Because I think going to Parkland and hearing trauma, it gets into your body. It gets into your cells. You carry it with you. So doing your work, I guess it, it's like, how do you how do you process it? And or you can talk about how the artist, if you have thoughts on how they should be processing it, because you said you've thought about it. I'm open to that, too. Um. But it seems like it should be a vital part of the work, because I think the one thing that people don't realize is we put ourselves in these imaginary circumstances to act something out. Like you were saying, just in the beginning of acting, that box, we put ourselves in a safe box. And just because it's imaginary does not mean the emotion and the experience wasn't felt in you. And so how do we care for ourselves?
1: So... For a while now, I have been, I'm going to address like the first question around um, just thinking about actors and how to, um, what we call in drama therapy, like to de-roll. I'm going to say something that may be tremendously unpopular, um, but I'm going to, I'll say it anyway. Um, I think that for a while now, And actually, I can speak about my my own experience. Um, The acting world and much of the methods that are used um, have the potential to do serious harm and uh, are not trauma-informed. And I remember when I was studying Meisner back in college. And now as a drama therapist, I look back at my Meisner training and I remember thinking, wow, unreal. Nobody was there to kind of put us back together. And so we were all a mess (laughs) for weeks after. People were like drinking until blackouts to just kind of seal up from the scene or the moment that just that just un un, we just became undone and I know that this is a much bigger conversation and I and I would love to kind of unpack this more because I think there's a lot of things that need to be taken under consideration but I have seen so many actors I have seen so many acting teachers push uh push their students to a certain emotional moment at whatever cause. Um, And it does harm. And then the person, the student is left to be able to put themselves back together and they don't know how to put themselves back together. So uh, something that I think that people need to start taking into consideration. And I know that, you know, these methods, these acting methods, are like, they're old school, right? They're like, they're, they're steeped in history and they have amazing stories and right. Like I know this is why I know this is going to be a little bit of a controversial conversation because people don't want to let go of, of these ways or, or some people, some people may not want to let, let go, go of
0: the mythology.
1: Yes, yes, yes. But the, the truth is, is that people need, students need help um, coming back helping them seal back up you know the question is is like well is that the acting teacher's job it's a good it's a question to think about i sometimes no. Sometimes I think yes. Sometimes I think no. Sometimes I think maybe yes in the beginning, just a little bit, like as Scott was saying, like maybe it's about, you know, after an emotional moment happens, coming back together and having like a um, a 15 minute conversation of like, how do you deroll yourself, right? There's ways that we do this in drama therapy and they're very, very specific. So, we'll do things like we will, we'll like wipe, we'll wipe the role off of us. We'll verbally say, what are the parts of, why am I not this role? And so you're actually speaking about like, Jessica is not this role because I live in Brooklyn. I'm right. So you verbally talk about why you're not the role. Um, So I think that there's preliminary things that acting teachers can do to help support their students. If they see that maybe they're a little bit, that's fair,
0: I'm done. No, yeah, I think it was it's it's something that needs to be added. It's funny, Scrap teaches Meisner. And um <laughs> and and I do, I think we he and I talked about it. It's like you the student who's had a breakthrough slash breakdown gets the attention, you know, mm-hmm. and you understand, and that was really personal and you talk them through it and all that. But it's like everyone who's gone somewhere needs time and something, and I think it's really important. Uh to de-roll in the way that you're talking about, like how, you know, and even just the 15, when you said 15 minutes of coming together, even if it's five minutes in the classroom of coming together for how was that? Because if, you know, we talked about privilege and societal things and all that, and it's like, well, if there's a scene that's about a triggering issue, but you have to deal with it because theater is about real life experiences, just as trauma therapy is you, as actual real life experiences in an imaginary circumstance as a way of healthy processing is you have to hit creating that moment for even other people to say, Oh, that was rough yeah. or whatever, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and yeah. And it's interesting. The question of like, is it worth it? Right. I mean, so many students are like, just like, Oh, yes, I got there. Right. Like I aced it. I, right. Like it felt, I got to the place and then they're left feeling so dysregulated for so long. And I think that we need to kind of be a little bit more, Responsible and what we can do to help. Um,
0: yeah, I think that's great. How do you take care of yourself?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I have a rituals. Rituals are really important for me. Um, so, I think that if I've had a really hard day, or just, I mean, I always have intense days, right? I think when you're a therapist, especially when you are a creative arts therapist or a drama therapist, I'm embodied. So, like, my body is. In the session, like, am I like never? Am I just like you know, um, a bobbling head, right? Just kind of talking. My body is always in the session with people, so I think that I have to do something for my body that helps regulate me. Um, because I can become, if I'm working with trauma, I can get pretty dysregulated, like, I can kind of a little bit be in it with them, and so. I have to help my body regulate with either some kind of physical, um, whether it's extra, you know, yoga or running um, or, or just taking a walk. Like, I, I have to change my environment. I have to, like, let myself know, like, okay, like, different environment. I'm coming back to the roles that I play that's not a therapist. I write a lot. I write, you know, I, I journal or write poetry. Um, I need to connect with people. Um, I need to connect with my family and friends. And then sometimes I'll just close my eyes and listen to music and just breathe and just find some quiet.
0: Good. The walking thing is really important for me. I mean, it's funny when I'm when <laughs> at some phases in my life, running is part of it, But but I'm always capable of walking. I have that you know, and so I, and what you said about changing the physical location, I think is really important. Like, Mm -hmm. just even it's simple things of like breaking up my day, like we're going to have this conversation. And then before I go to the next thing, I'm going to go for a walk. And just to separate the two and process them, you know, Mm -hmm. even though it's not deep processing trauma, this is a very enjoyable conversation. Um, But it's transitioning. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. allowing that to happen. What is it like? I'm I may have I don't think we talked about this at the beginning, but it feels a little like the whole world's a trauma, so or at least a country is. how and how is it to work in that space, knowing that you're going through an experience that the people you're working with are also going through? You know, it's one thing to go to Parkland and you're coming from an outside different place, but now, People are talking about, I can't see my friends, I can't physically act, I can't be the person I was yesterday, you know, the life I built, and you're sitting here going, yeah, me too, you know, what is that like, or how is that, or I don't know what question to ask. Does that reflect back as true? That's my question.
1: It absolutely reflects back as true, and I have been talking about it uh, with my therapist and other ther- therapists, you know, colleagues, this is a pretty, it, it's pretty, I don't even know the right word, it is pretty wild to be going through something at the same time as your clients are. So you don't have any, well, and um, it's not like I, I, I'm a few steps in front of people. I mean, I guess I, in terms of education and, and knowing how to manage emotions and kind of how to take care of myself, I mean, that's part of the work that I do. But in terms of what we're actually going through, like most of us are all feeling disconnected. Uh, most of us have been isolated for three, three and a half months. Um, Most most of us are deeply scared. Um, um, I am, you know, as I learn and do work around my white privilege and my white fragility, so are all my other white clients. So we're all doing the work. We're all doing the work together. And so I think that there has been something just so humbling about being in the same space at the same time with people and not pretending like I have I have had some really honest conversations with my clients just saying like I am right I'm right here with you oh you're reading um you know me and white supremacy oh you're on chapter five. Oh, me too <laughs> oh great what did what, what was your answer to question right like <laughs> It's, it's quite a unique time for a therapist and a client relationship. It's, it's really, it's a unique time in our relationship right now. And, and it is, it is uncomfortable because we are used to, I think, um, not that we're always used to knowing because there's plenty of times that I don't know, but it is just rare to be always to be going through something at the same time. And um, so we navigate it together. And for me, that is the heart. That is the heart of therapy, though. For me, that is the heart of therapy. When you found a good therapist who you trust and you believe in, it's you are navigating the relationship and your life together. You are entrusting them to help guide you. And the therapist is also... Saying, do you trust me to do this? It's a conversation about trust. Do you still trust me? I still trust you. Great, let's keep going. Okay, a year later, do you still trust me? I still trust you. Okay, great, let's keep going. Then it's like, oh, you fucked up. You're right, I did fuck up. Should, even though I fucked up, can we repair it? Can we still go? Okay, great. Right? Like, there's, it's the essence of being in relationship. And so that's what I think about when I think right now, being with my mm-hmm. clients
0: actually it's great to hear because it's honest and that humble thing about I think the humility it is very hard to constantly remind yourself to 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 not to relearn and re-examine humility because like you said walking into the room and not needing the pressure of something to happen is humility of like i uh, I'm something's going to happen because something always happens. And that's a humble act. And then the humility of sharing your experience with somebody who's sharing theirs and and allowing yourself to be vulnerable. And I think about that. It's hard to remember that we're all in the same place. And and when we enter a room together to discover a play and there's always that person who's like, well, I wrote it. So I know more, hmm. you know, or I'm directing it. So I'm sort of responsible. And mm-hmm. we've got reasons to put ourselves At an arm's distance from something, you know. Oh, I've been doing this longer. I went to this school. I did this, you know. And the truth is, we're all in the same room, making ourselves as vulnerable as possible to try to figure out what's the best way to create something. Yeah. You know, and I think, and actually, every way you listed trust made me think, oh, what if, I mean, I know this because I go to therapy. So I'm like, it is sort of the great relationship builder, but it's like, what a great thing can, you know, do you still trust me? Can we repair this? Yes, I'm human. Yes, I made a mistake. It's like, right, that's sort of good to carry through every relationship, isn't it?
1: Right, right. Well, and that's the idea with the therapeutic relationship is that if you guys can do that in the room, that that can model the other relationships in your life too, because the other other relationships in your life, it's the same thing, right? do you trust me? Do I trust you? Great. Keep going. I fucked up. You did fuck up. Can you forgive me? Do, okay, great. Like, like it just, it models all the other relationships in our life as well.
0: Do you have any advice? And this can be for theater artist, drama therapist, anybody who's thinking about it, whatever resonates with you with the idea of, do you have advice for anybody that you'd like to share?
1: Oh man. I just, I think that I think just staying curious has been such a gift for me. So I just have to, I guess the advice that I would say is that just continue to be curious in your life um, as, a, as a theater maker, as an artist, as a performer, um, because curiosity always leads you to amazing things. And, you know, curiosity is is kind of the opposite of like, oh, I've like... Um, I've made a decision or something's finite or I know. And that's, all that stuff is just protective gear. That's protective armor that we have around us. And I think to continue to just stay curious about the world and the work and what's going to happen and how my life is going to be keeps us in a place of expansion and boundlessness rather than 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 the opposite than tightening up um, it's just it's it's reward giving that's perfect
0: no it's perfect yeah, i mean cuz you're curious i curious in the pursuit of the work curious curious in pursuit of the world and even curious i mean i i go back to the very beginning of our conversation the curiosity of like what else can you do and you know, and there's fulfillment in that, because if you knew, you know, oh, I'm, like you said, fifth grade, I was in an acting class. Well, imagine if you decided at that moment, that's what my life is, you know, at fifth grade. I don't have to discover anything else. And, uh, right. Remain wide, remain open and curious, because it's true, because also if I'm curious, uh, I'm going to see the world for how it is. As opposed to just how I've limited it to be, right,
1: right. When you're curious, you continue to be open to the story. You keep, oh, then you keep being open to the store for the story to change and change again and change again.
0: Oh, thank you. Uh, that was, uh, oh, that was great. It was great. You know, I didn't say at the intro, it's just so impressive to see somebody that you know when you see them starting out in their career. And then, you know, I mentioned in the middle of it, uh, the interview that I was, you know, I researched my friend to then see like, oh, you went to the Tonys and um, the project with Parkland and everything that she's achieved. It's really impressive and um, and done in service of a of her art and recognizing that what her art was truly calling her to do and I think that that's a good lesson for me to remember and to be like oh it's not holding on to a sense of identity of who we how we think we built a life and who we think you know are supposed to be or maybe the other perception of all the years that we've told other people what we knew and then recognizing like oh it's incredibly rewarding to bring your the value you delivered to other people and, sh- and bring to the world in any form and and to let go of like we talked about the humility, letting go of the result and trying to control the narrative and the story of what it has to look like and really allowing yourself to just be present and live and remain curious. Such great advice at the end, remain curious, curious about what else you want to do, Uh, curious about ways to do it, curious to create and curious to, at this time, not only pandemic, but social change and anti-racist movement, which is, Seems silly to be a movement should be understood that that's what everybody should be a baseline But I say that and say the education that people are putting themselves through which we talked about a little bit And remaining curious and open to all of it and uh, I also had another conversation with a another friend not on the podcast just uh, Saying how the pandemic has slowed things down and it's good Because you can really take your temperature of what is important to you in your life and, you know, we joked about, you know, living this whole thing. It's very funny. It goes back to the very first episode of the podcast with Aaron Weiner about um, live your life, take those trips, do those things. Cause we were both, my friend and I were just joking like, yeah, you didn't want to live your life because you were afraid you'd miss the break, the big break while you were out having fun and experiencing life. And now it's, it's, we're sort of forced to experience life in the simplest ways. You know, we're wrapping up season two and I, We'll be back in the fall, and I just wanted to say thank you, and thank you, all of you, for listening. Thank you uh, for sharing it with everyone. Thank all of the guests. You know, I didn't talk about Lee uh, in Season 2, because the beginning of when we were planning this season, it was so – it wouldn't have got launched without Lee Kaplan in in Season 1 and co-hosting and sound editing and helping me – helping the farm really – find out what it takes to create this. And then as we were starting season two, he was busy. And I don't think I talked about it because I, I don't know why I think I was trying to, you know, figure out like, the, how do I thank him and also acknowledge this, but, but thank, you know, grateful for him to create, to, to work with me, to create the foundation of this. And, you know, season two, he was going to be touring his show bully all over and he was going to be making a documentary about that through the tour and you know obviously in the middle of the season the touring stopped and uh but but as i'm starting season and i you know I'm that's sad because i know they made a lot of decisions around making that the main project but grateful for him for what uh creating the foundation with me and finding out what this is really grateful to Hudson Roddenberry who has been editing season two and growing uh, each time and helping me and shaping, convincing me that like, Oh, we should do 20 episodes instead of 15. I hope that, I hope you all think that was a good idea and have listened and, and really just appreciating the partnership this year and anybody, all the people who, supported financially uh, the podcast and I miss Julia Nippin at Soundvine the studio because we haven't gone into the studio since February and not sure when we'll be back there but it was great I mean I appreciate that I got to talk to people in New Orleans and Chicago and different places because of Zoom and took the risk of doing that. So we'll probably incorporate that for season three. And one of the things I mentioned, Julia, and one of the things that about the career shifting and one of the careers that has continued on and has not slowed down, has picked up, is uh, voice acting, voiceover, books, audio plays, and animation. And so you should go to the farm's uh, web page and Facebook page, uh, because we're going to do a voiceover roundtable July 30th, uh, four to 5:30 PM. I'm going to have three. Julia is going to be one of them. Evan Hall, Allison Johnson, and they're going to, uh, all various levels of voice acting experience. And they're just going to share what they know and how they started and how they work today and how they get work and what equipment you need. And, um, how you can be better at it, you know, instead of every person like myself who thinks they can just pick up a microphone and start a podcast, um, but how to get really good at it. And uh, and I think it's important as we're looking at different ways to continue to do the work. So I thought that was something the farm can do. And I'm grateful for the three of them for giving their time. And I hope that you'll check it out would be on Zoom and everybody's welcome. And with that, you know, I hope everybody has a great rest of the summer and continues to to adjust and and feel complete and remain curious to possibility. Humble and curious. I think the humble. The social distancing did that for a lot of us. It made it humble because it took away a lot of things that defined us and I think how we identified in the world. But it also the thing that Jessica said that I thought was really important is to remain curious and open and not only to learn about others but to learn about ourselves in this time and find out what's really important and um i know for me the generosity of everybody who's taken the time to talk on the pod is really important i really appreciate that and i appreciate the insights in the conversation and grateful for the end of season two another completion not that it's over but that there's a sense of completion and i am uh I'm grateful and hope everyone has a great break. And with that, we're out.